This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, for a Jew of biblical times, there was scarcely anything more frightening or repulsive than leprosy. We can hear this if we look in the biblical book of Leviticus. In fact, I recommend you read Leviticus. It's a very interesting, strange book. It's a kind of legal code of the ancient Jews. And a passage from Leviticus is our first reading for this week. Let me read to you just a brief section of it. The one who bears the sore of leprosy shall keep his garments rent and his head bare and shall muffle his beard and he shall cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as the sore is on him, he shall declare himself unclean, since he is in fact unclean. He shall dwell apart, making his abode outside the camp. You see how severe this prohibition is. If someone has leprosy, this disease of the skin, this disfiguring problem, they are excluded from the circle of Jewish society. And now mind you, in an age prior to welfare, prior to unemployment insurance, prior to any kind of social safety net. To be excluded from the circle of the community was to be condemned to a kind of slow death. Whatever physical suffering was involved in leprosy, and that was certainly true and real, far greater was the social suffering caused by this ostracization. Why do we read from Leviticus today? Because in our gospel, Jesus confronts a leper. Jesus confronts one of these excluded, marginalized people. Friends, it's a sad fact, but a fact. That very often, human communities define themselves through ostracization, through scapegoating, through exclusion. Look, we know who we are because we're not them. We know who we are because we've excluded the likes of them. Jesus comes as the incarnation of the second person of the Blessed Trinity, which means Jesus comes as a representative of that divine communion, Father, Son, and Spirit, that divine social circle that does not define itself over and against, that does not define itself by exclusion. And so when Jesus preaches and acts and ministers, he does so as an instantiation of this divine community. What's the upshot of this? The upshot is that when Jesus comes, he moves like a magnet to the margins to include precisely those who have been excluded from the circle. Jesus goes to the sick, 
the leprous, the suffering, the sinner, the tax collector, the prostitute, all those who have been sent outside the social circle. Those are the ones, above all, to whom Jesus goes. Let's be fair about it, too. Jesus eats and drinks with Pharisees as well. Because look, from the standpoint of the sinner, the Pharisee is the outsider. Jesus' ministry and task, look, is to draw into the circle everyone that God loves. To create, if you will, a human community which is not defined over and against, not defined by exclusion, ostracization. And so this leper comes to Jesus. Lord, if you want to cure me, I'll be cured. Of course I do. That's why he came. Of course I do. I've come as the Savior. I've come as the one to draw you into the divine circle. And so Jesus cures him of his disease, but more importantly, cures him of this terrible ostracization. This, I think, friends, is a powerful part of this reading. It's a dimension of it. Without denying it for a second, this more external interpretation, can I also follow the church fathers in suggesting to you a more interior or internal reading of this text? Jesus is the center of this new social circle. That's true. It draws all people to himself. But now, think of Christ as a power existing in you. Remember Paul says, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. Christ is living his life in us, the baptized. He's now the center of my own soul. And this same process is at work. What I mean is, the Christ in me is drawing around himself all of the powers and elements of my soul. And he wants them all in the communio of myself. My mind, my will, my passions, my sexuality, my body, my relational life, everything in me. Christ wants to gather around himself as a communion. All of these elements related to him, grounded in him, finding their point and meaning and purpose in him. Look, what's the implication? When one or more of these elements wander away from Christ, they become leprous, disfigured, at odds with themselves. Shift the metaphor a little bit. Think of all these elements in your soul, mind and body and passions and sexuality, everything in you. Think of them as ships in a convoy, sailing in order, sailing in harmony, as long as they are under the command of a leader. But now imagine one of these ships sailing off on its own, or running aground, or losing contact with the commander. Well, now the convoy loses its coherency, its cohesiveness. Jesus is this commander at the center and heart of your soul, 
whose purpose is to keep in order all of these various elements. Now, let me make this a little more specific. What does a mind look like that's wandered away from Christ? A mind that's become disfigured, deformed, because it's wandered far from Christ. Look in the great spiritual autobiography of Thomas Merton, someone I know I've spoken to you about often. Merton was a Trappist monk, one of the greatest spiritual writers of the last century. Well, in 1948, he publishes his autobiography, and he tells the story of his youth when he allowed his very powerful mind to wander away from any rootedness in Christ. Merton succumbed to the secularism of his time, losing contact with the spiritual, losing contact with a sense of the transcendent. And his mind, accordingly, drifted along with Marxism and existentialism and psychoanalysis. Powerful mind, yes, it was always that, but it became a sort of diseased and deformed mind. The story of the book, in many ways, is how Merton learned to draw that mind back into obedience with Christ, back into the circle around him. Another example that comes to my mind, a will that wanders away from Christ. What does it become? It becomes, even in its strength, and you might say even because of its strength, it becomes deformed, distorted, strange. To see this, read a spiritual autobiography from many centuries before Merton's. I'm talking about St. Augustine's great confessions. Augustine talks about coming to Carthage as a young man, sort of like a young American coming to Chicago or New York, coming to the big city. And he's surrounded by all these stimulants, all these interesting things to try and look into and experiment with. And he says, I was passionate to find something to love. Well, that's the will talking, you see. The will wants to love. What ultimately does it want to love? It wants to love Christ. It wants to love God. It wants to give itself utterly to the infinite power of God. But Augustine hadn't found God yet. And so his will, this passion to love, wandered away after sex and after pleasure and after power and after the esteem of the world. And his will accordingly became distorted, strange, leprous. What if your sexuality wanders away from Christ? A third example that comes to my mind here is the theologian Paul Tillich. Paul Tillich was one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century. Wrote brilliant works of theology. His mind was on fire with Christ. But Tillich's sexual life was never integrated. Tillich's sexual life had become strange and distorted. And he never got it in proper relationship with the Lord. It's possible that you can have many elements of your soul in right relationship, but one can be wandering off, and it becomes distorted, leprous. What's the solution? Look again at the Gospel reading. It gives us the clue. 
A leper approached Jesus with a request, kneeling down as he addressed him. If you will to do so, you can cure me. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him, and said, I do will it, be cured. Christians, never in the New Testament does Jesus effect a cure without some kind of synergy being established between himself and the person to be cured. What I mean is, the person has to express a willingness, a desire. Lord, if, if, you, can, if you want to, you can cure me. Lord, please give me my sight. There has to be a synergy between the healer and the healed. If there's some aspect of your life that has wandered far from Christ Jesus, that's moved outside the circle of the Lord's influence and love, that dimension must come back to Christ. And like this leper, must kneel down before him and say, Lord, I want to be cured. Your mind has become secularized, cut off from the Lord. Your will has become distorted by wandering after all kinds of things other than Christ. Your sexuality is no longer linked to the center. Those elements in you must now come back with great humility and with great devotion and say, Lord, I want to be reconnected to you. What will you hear? You will hear these words. Of course, I want to cure you. Of course, I want to heal you. Be healed. Whatever in you is distorted, bring it with humility and with love back to Christ and then expect this healing to take place. God bless. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. To purchase copies of the word on fire, Call 847-297-4360. That's 847-297-4360. You want the kids to eat healthy foods. They want fast foods and sugary snacks. What's a parent or school administrator to do? Call FSP. We provide nutritious, kid-tested, kid-approved meal service to area schools. Our quality breakfast, lunch, and snack plans are easy to implement and affordable. Take the guesswork out of mealtime by calling FSP at 773-385-5100. FSP, we're more than a school food service.